Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Fussman, and our conversation today is going to go to a place that we all need to think about with the world changing so fast. I was driving down the road the other night and heard an advertisement on the radio for truck drivers. It was urging them to get out of their trucks take a computer course so they could switch careers. We all know what's coming. There's going to be self-driving cars and trucks on the road before long, and many, if not most, if not all, of the jobs humans do in that area will be gone in the near future. So this commercial was telling the truck drivers on the road to retrain themselves before it was too late. Now my guest today is not a truck driver. But in a way, she's gone through an experience that overlaps with everyone who wants or needs to make a life change. Could be you, family member, friend. If any of you is in a job that you're not passionate about or longs to take themselves to a place where they can wake up every morning with a deep sense of purpose, then you'll identify with this episode. And if you love Olympic figure skating, what you're about to hear will be even more relevant to you. Because my guest today is an Olympic silver medalist from the 2006 Winter Games in Turin, Italy, Sasha Cohn. When you think about it, Olympians might be among the best examples of people who need to make an abrupt career switch. They spend years focusing their entire lives on being the best in the world at a single area. Then once, every four years, they get a shot at reaching the top of the mountain. And then, whether they make it or not, it's over. Unless they want to train again for four more years. When it all ultimately does end, What do Olympians do with all that discipline and desire? Where do they take it? Sasha and I spoke about that. Sasha is the last American woman to win a figure skating medal in the individual competition. And the story of her silver medal makes you wonder what it must feel like to be injured on the one day in your life when you need to be at your best. But a life is more than a day. And we'll talk about the journey that led Sasha from Los Angeles to the Olympics, to make a natural transition into commercials, television shows, and film, to study political science at Columbia, to leap into a media startup, and then into the wealth management firm Morgan Stanley, where she now happily works. Sasha is a precise communicator, a tremendous communicator, and I hope that this podcast will be the start of a side adventure in her life and somehow influence the way you think about your own journey. I want to thank our sponsors, Squarespace and ZipRecruiter, for bringing this episode to you. You'll hear more about them later. But now, here's Sasha Cohn. Welcome to Big Questions. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. This is a landmark day. First, you came to Larry King's breakfast table. You get into arguments with people. 
made them feel right at home. And they weren't really arguments, they were debates. I was trying to stay on the right side of making friends, but also taking a stand. So I'm glad it went well. And then now, oh, now you can come any day. You're, you've got a seat number. at the table. You're in. And then we came to the studio and I showed Sasha how to set up the equipment for a podcast, which is a landmark moment in my life. I was so scared about doing this and checking the audio levels. And here I am showing Sasha so that I hope quite shortly she will have her own podcast that I can tune into. As long as you can be my 1-800 support number if I have oh, any, no. any questions, any well, how-tos. This has gone too far where I am now a 1-800 support number. Something good's about to happen. <laughs> I've embraced the new world. Well, what do you think about going forward? Because we've talked a good part of the morning about where you were as a kid and the Olympic journey and where you're going now. Do you think life is a continual path of finding yourself or is it just understanding where you want to go and then finding your way to where you want to go? I think there are different kinds of people in the world and I think people have different chapters. So I think the first part of my life, I found clarity very early on when I found skating. How old were you the moment you knew, there it is? I think when I just started skating, I was seven years old and I fell in love with that feeling of speed under my blades and I had no control. I knocked over every coach I had. I started late for skating, so I just... So you started as a gymnast. I did. I was put into gymnastics at the age of five because I was a terror at home. I destroyed the house, and I had way too much energy, so my mom decided to put me into gymnastics for four hours a day. I was a five-year-old. I was oh. doing 300 push-ups, sit-ups, V-ups, jumping jacks. If you look at pictures of me as a five-year-old, I look like a little sumo wrestler. I'm all muscle. And, and it worked. So my parents got a very docile, nice child at the end of that. And throughout that experience, I made a friend who also skated, and she threw an ice skating birthday party. I went along, and I fell in, the, in love with this feeling of gliding. I felt like I was flying. Well, do you remember putting on the skates for the first time? I think my mom would probably have been the one that laced them I, up for me. I didn't have patience for those kind of things. And How did you go out on the ice for the first time and does it feel right immediately or because when I go out on the ice, I'm like flopping all over the place. Do you feel this is home? I think very early on, once I found my balance and where my weight was over a blade, I could go fast. I could get speed. You get this speed and you coast. It's this feeling of riding down a hill on a bike, you know, that, that feeling of being free and oh, the wind in your face. beautiful, your hair coming back. And that's what I found when I got that speed skating. And I saw the other kids at the rink doing jumps and spins. And so it wasn't just this element of speed. There was this athletic component and, and the rotational force. And I, 
I needed to learn. And for a while, I did both skating and gymnastics, and my mom decided she wasn't going to spend her whole life as my chauffeur, taking me between the gymnasium and the ice rink. And she, she steered me towards skating because I really had zero attention span as a seven-year-old, and I was about to learn to do backflips on the beam. And the beam is all of three inches, and she didn't think that I had the attention for that. And she was right. She figured in skating, if you fall, at least you'll just slide. You know, I don't think she factored in the blades and the sharpness of that at that point. And, and so that's how my journey as a figure skater started. Did you ever get cut by the blades of your, you have been cut? So when I was about 13, another skater landed a jump in my leg. I had 21 stitches, it nicked the muscle. I, my career almost ended. And I was basically hopping around on one foot for three months waiting to get back on the ice. What, what was that like? Did you see this girl coming down on you? Is like a car crash? I didn't because my back was to her. So I had landed a jump and was gliding backwards. And she saw me, and this was again with the circling of being aggressive and being dominant and taking your space. And so she wanted to prove that I wasn't going to affect her jump. And so she went for it, even though it was close. And so she's in the air, and as she comes out of the air, she's coming out backwards, and I'm backwards, and she checks out strong with her left leg, and her leg and blade go straight into my calf. And we both crumple in a heap. And then what happened right after that? So I was shaken and jarred, and I felt pain but more shock. And so I got up, my skated around once, and my leg didn't feel right, but was- there was no hole in my stockings, in my leggings. And I got off the ice after one lap and I pulled up my black leggings and I have nude colored tights underneath and I just saw a red circle of blood, but no hole. It didn't even cut through the tights. Once I took my tights off, it looked like someone took a melon baller and scooped out my calf. It wasn't a nice slice. It was just like someone took a bite. And so I went to the hospital. I had 11 interior stitches and 10 exterior stitches and... Got a break from skating for a few months. Now, at that point, had you already discovered, I'm going to the Olympics? At that point, I wanted to. It was definitely, it was definitely a goal of mine, and I was nervous. What does this mean? What, what got hit? How long will it take to recover? And I was told, you're very lucky because the muscle was just nicked. But if had this been an inch over to the left and it had gone through the muscle, it would have been a very different story. What was the moment that you knew, okay, I love this speed. I love everything about this. I'm going to the Olympics. Was it seeing a performance on the Olympics? When I was a kid, I wasn't the brightest kid, but I was very intense. And I watched a recording of Christy Yamaguchi at the Olympics. And I watched it over and over. And she won that Olympics. And I told my mom, wow, Chrissy must have so many gold medals on her wall. And I think my mom had to explain to me that I was watching the same competition over and over. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, I was a very intense kid, special for sure. I made it through about three different elementary schools before I found where I fit. So I think as soon as I realized what the Olympics was and I excelled at skating around the age of 12, I asked my mom to be homeschooled so I could dedicate all my attention to it, be at the rink from 7 a.m. to 2 p.m., then go to Pilates, then go to strength training, physical therapy. 
And at that age, I knew that it was a possibility, but at that age, at 12 or 13, it's a possibility for a couple hundred girls. And the Olympics were three or four years away, and two or three girls get to go to the Olympics. So it's, when you think you have a chance, there's, it's a very small chance. How do you come to grips with all the competition? Is there a moment where you see, oh, that's how many girls want to be where I want to be? I think as a child, I had this naive but intense nature that really served me well. And I, I, clung, I clung to it. So I found my goal and I didn't analyze it. I didn't weigh the odds. This was my passion. This is what I wanted to do. It consumed me. And it was beautifully obvious. And I like to say that there's nothing as difficult, but nothing as clear as trying to go to the Olympics. And I was lucky. Skating just grabbed me. It grabbed my attention, my passion, my energy. And so I wasn't really thinking, what's the chance that this will work out for me? It, my, my mental frame framework told me, you have to do this. You are a skater, and you need to go to the Olympics. So do everything you can to get there. That, that's what I thought. You know, what strikes me about that is, like, I knew at seven years old that I was going to be a writer, but I never had to think there's only going to be two or three writers that get to where you want to go. There's an infinite number of writers. And you never had to think, what do I do after? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that because I imagine as you're going through this, you are just on, you got blinders on. If you're asking to be homeschooled, this is not somebody putting it on you. This is, you're leading the train here. I didn't fit in at school. I looked five years younger than I was. I remember my first year in middle school and a group of kids came over and said, hey, Runt, what are you doing? Elementary school's down the street. Did you get lost? And oh. I, was, I was a tomboy. I was a girl that wore bike shorts and didn't brush my hair. I was climbing trees. I would race the boys and say, I can run faster than you. So when you get to middle school and it becomes about how you dress and who's going to ask you to the dance, it's, it's a different world. And I didn't, I didn't fit in. And my passion was all about skating. I'm a very curious person and I love to read and learn a lot now, but at that point, I wasn't, my curiosity wasn't steered uh, towards education in a traditional sense. It was all about how do I become the best skater that I can be? And I can't do that if I have to skate before school on the crowded sessions. I need more time. I need emptier ice. This is what I need to do. So you, you know this at like 11 years old, I need empty ice, but clearness join out. I, it's like we talked about the circling. And if you're on a session with 40 girls, you've got to circle and circle to try to get your jump in. You have to put your music in line and maybe wait 30 minutes to play your program. Maybe you don't even get it on because coaches get to cut to, for their students. And you just... You're really training at 20 or 30% capacity. So when you have empty ice, you can do your program 30 times. It's a whole different ballpark. So you're moving along. Is there a moment where you first win something that you know, yeah, this, this is it? I think when I, 
was a junior and I won a silver medal at nationals, it became very close because I would have been 14 at the time, three years away from the next Olympics. And that would give me two, you know, two or three times to be senior. And you have to be senior to qualify for an Olympic Games. And it felt close because I was on the podium as a junior. I had a few years to develop as a senior. And it was really exciting. And the next Olympics was in Salt Lake City in 2002 in, in the United States. And I was competitive with a girl at my rink, and we pushed each other. And I think that made us both stronger. And I, I think that was probably the moment where it felt the most clear and wow, this is possible. It's in, it's in my hand. To, to step on the podium and have somebody put a medal around you. Especially at that level, because it wasn't five levels away from senior. It was one level away from senior. Oh. So people saw me and they're like, wait till she comes to the senior ranks. I wonder how she's going to do. And I think the really obvious moment was the next year when I won the short program at nationals. And I ended up placing second overall, coming from nowhere, this this 15-year-old. And that's the moment where it's like, wow, if I do this well in two years, I'm going to the Olympics. I did it. I just need to do this again. And that's the thing that's difficult with skating. It's, it's a few minutes, and you have no idea if you're going to be able to do it when it counts. And like you see gymnastics, you see the gymnasts that win an Olympic gold medal and four years later, they're not there or their body's completely changed or they're injured. And that's something where the window is so short for figure skaters and for gymnasts. You have to peak at the right time. Your body has to be athletic enough at the right time and you have to hope that you're not injured. And then on top of all of that, you need to have the mental strength to perform in the moment you need to. So there's so many factors going on. What's the bigger part of it, the mental or the physical? So you, if you assume that physically you are ready and your body is in form, then it's all mental. But if your body changes, it doesn't matter how mentally strong you are because you just can't rotate anymore. Your body, figure skaters' bodies and gymnasts' bodies, you know, they're, they have to be very, very lean. And once you start to develop or if your body changes and your body as a 16-year-old is completely different as an 18-year-old, then you're out of the game. You're out of luck. And so I think a lot of that's natural, how, how much your body is going to change. So 2002 is coming and you do get a chance to go to Salt Lake City. What's the moment like where you realize, because that's, I guess, the first dream to get to, to the, the Olympics. Olympics. What's that moment like? It was so surreal. I qualified in Los Angeles at the Staples Center. And I remember waiting to skate my program. I think I skated towards the end of the group. Took up my skates, was in a, a private locker room waiting. And I could feel my heart beating so strongly. It shook my body. And when the skater before me finished their program, we were under the bleachers. So you could just hear everyone stomping and making noise and yelling. And you hear that above you. And it sounds just like thunder. And it's just... And so you, your heart is so loud that you can't hear your thoughts. And then from above you, you feel like the, the stadium's crumbling down. And you're like, this is my moment to go qualify. And then you have to skate out into a sea of stuffed animals and try to wind around them and get your warm up and get your head on straight. So 
when I skated a, a great program and I qualified and I got the silver, I couldn't believe it. And I was going to Olympics in my own country. I had never before been to a world championship. And it's, it's surreal because it's a dream. And then when it's actually, it comes true, it's, it's, words can't describe. In dreams come responsibilities. So what happens to your training once you know, okay, I'm going to the Olympics? Are you even, do you double down on what you're doing or is that no good? Is that too much? I had to prepare for an altitude. So I moved to like Arrowhead for three weeks to train and adjust so I would be prepared. And it was my first Olympics. So there wasn't the same kind of pressure on me that there was on Michelle Kwan, who was coming to her second Olympics and expected to win a gold medal. That was a pressure I faced in my second Olympic Games. So for me, it was just, wow, Salt Lake City is in a completely different place. Sports Illustrated had houses, there was Team USA houses, Russia houses, and the, the energy getting to meet athletes that are my friends today or sports I'd never heard of or countries I'd never heard of that were, um, and people trading jackets in the village. It was just a different universe. So for me, it was much more about the excitement and the experience of the Olympics, the opening ceremony. I sat next to President Bush during the opening ceremonies, and I called my mom, and he, he spoke with her. So oh, you just handed him the phone? So basically, <laughs> the Secret Service put down a blanket, and they said, the president's coming, make space. And I called my mom, and I told her. And she said, honey, you must be confused. I don't think the president's <laughs> going to be sitting next to you. And so 15 minutes later, when they brought him in, and he sat down, and he was very, very pleasant and friendly. I called her and I, I said, Mr. President, would you say hi to my mom? She didn't believe me. And he's sure. And, and he's, your daughter's very well behaved and how long are you here for? And this is, he was super nice. And after that, everyone was just sticking a phone in his face to, to say, say hi to whoever, you know, that I'm talking to. So that, that was how my Olympics kicked off. And it was, it was magical for me. And then what about the way you performed in that Olympics? Did it live up to what you were hoping for? Or do you come in, like everyone saying Michelle Kwan's going to win, are you coming in thinking, you know what, maybe I can beat her? I think you have to think that way as an athlete. And also, ice is slippery. Things happen. And they did. And Sarah Hughes ended up winning the gold. And she was a complete underdog. I was happy with how I skated, but I could have skated better. And there was one jump that I missed in the long program. And you you carry that with you. It's this disappointment that you did not live up to your expectations and to your potential. And initially, I thought, I can, maybe I can just win this Olympics, and then I can go pro, and then I can go to college. Because I was right at the right age. I had just... I would be graduating from high school a few months after the Olympics, and it didn't happen. And so the next four years were about dedicating myself to becoming a better skater and making it to the next Olympics and trying to win the next Olympic Games. So there, there's a lot of pressure, and they come in four-year cycles because as an Olympic athlete versus a professional athlete, you're largely invisible between Olympic cycles. And you... You don't have the same kind of financial support. Skaters are lucky. We're able to tour and do shows to pay for our training, but a lot of other Olympians are not. They work second jobs. 
And I moved to Connecticut with a very intense Russian coach. I thought I would take some classes at community college. And she said, you sleep, you skate, you eat, that's it. You do nothing else. You're a skater. And so my world got very small. I wish I had this on video to see your face when you just said that. She would have been the perfect Nike ad. You would go, I would go to her and I'm like, I'm not sure. And I'm, I, I think this is a little sordid. And she'd be like, just do it. And she had this thick Russian accent. She would speak to me in Russian and I would speak back to her in English. Uh, my, my family's, part of my family's Russian. I took Russian in school. So I knew I could understand it, but my grammar was so broken, not comfortable speaking it unless I've had enough vodka. And then, <laughs> and then all my insecurities go away. But she understood English, but she, again, she would only speak Russian. So we were a very funny pair. And my life became skating in such an intense form. I moved to Connecticut to a tiny town, and my life was all about skating. I had a trainer fly out from Moscow that took me to do off-ice in between my skating sessions. I was uh, leg press, doing a leg press of up to 500 pounds. How much do you point, weigh? And at that point, I weighed 94 pounds. It was just very intense, explosive uh, to absorb shock on landing and be able to be explosive on takeoff. And that was my life. It was, it was. But there's something you were talking this morning about how creative it was because you would design your own outfits. And that's the wonderful and incredible thing about skating. I don't think I realized until later trying to find a second career is how many pieces of yourself you can develop as a skater because you are a technician, you are an athlete, you are experimenting to get your body into peak form. So you're trying different things with supplements, with sprints, with different reps to see where you perform the best. You know, I had to stop yoga because I couldn't develop any arm muscles. So you really hone your body to a science. So you have that part of you that you develop, but you're an artist. So you find music that moves you. What makes you, what makes you tick? What makes you feel alive? And then I designed my costumes. So there was this fashion element and I would subscribe to fashion magazines and I would look at, you know, if I skated to Carmen, I would look at the history of operatic costumes. And then I would design that and meet with a costume designer and work on beading samples and dye samples. And, and then being an athlete gave me a platform to talk about my story, what's, how sports empowers children, how sports especially empowers women. And so I got to do all these things as a skater. And then not only did I get to compete, I got to perform. I got to perform with Sarah Brightman and Boys to Men and The Temptations. And how am I going to find another job where I get to check off all these boxes? Well, you know what? That's, that's where ultimately we're going to go. But now the Olympics are getting closer and closer and people are looking at you as, okay, she's the one, she's the favorite. What does that put on you to have like, not only your own pressures, but to be carrying other people's? Going into my second Olympics, my joy for the sport faded and I became very results oriented and not process oriented. The joy that brought me into skating, the love of skating was largely not there. There was the weight of the world on my shoulders. 
knowing that I had one chance, one more Olympic cycle. And I had a terrible year two years before the Olympics. I lost all my jumps. I had to withdraw from every competition. And things go, like I say, it's it's very fickle. And your body being able to take off a quarter inch piece of steel and go up three times and land perfectly, like that's that that comes and goes. And and I really didn't know if this was gonna be the it the end. And I ended up moving back to California and coming back to train with my with my old coach. And things started to come together again. And I had a year and a half to go to the Olympics. And it was it it consumed me. I kind of thought about other things I might want to do after, but it's the best way I can describe it is that my relationship with my second Olympics was, I think, largely our relationship with death. We know it's going to happen, but we can't really conceive of it arriving. And so I could not imagine what February, I don't remember the exact date right now, but let's say February 29th. I can't imagine what that day after the Olympic long program would look like. What would I do? Who would def- what would define me? I couldn't imagine it. I knew it would come, but it didn't feel like it would ever come. Time for my sponsors. It's been beautiful to get messages from people about these ads. As everybody who listens knows, I've tried to be creative when I bring up my sponsors, Squarespace and ZipRecruiter. Sometimes, apparently, I've gone a little over the top with my enthusiasm for these companies, and I've been called out for it. But thank you, thank you, thank you to the people who email me and tell me to keep on doing what I'm doing. Look, I can read off a sheet of paper and list all the advantages to starting a new website on Squarespace, but doesn't it make more sense to tell you that I rely on Squarespace for my own website, check it out, calfussman.com, and see what you can do with your own website. Here's the thing about Squarespace. It makes you think like an artist. I'm telling you, I wake up in the morning and I'll have a thought. What can I do with the podcast section on calfussman.com? I've been asking all my listeners to send in photos of the cities and towns where they hear big questions. What if I took those photos and put them together in a collage so everybody could see how we're connecting all over the world? I'm going to do it. So if you're up for it, please send a photo of the city or town where you listen to big questions. You could send it to calfussman.com. You could send it through Twitter at calfussman. You could send it to calfussman at Instagram. However you get it to me, it's going to make my day. One day down the road, those photos may make my website on Squarespace even more original and beautiful. If you like what you see at calfussman.com, know that you can start your own unique and beautiful website on Squarespace. Just go to squarespace.com, enter the offer code FUSSMAN, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, 
and get 10% off your new website or domain name. Trust me on this. A Squarespace website will inspire your creativity every day and it will take you to new places, maybe even around the world. And ZipRecruiter. Now, my company is in a very early stage. I'm not hiring tons of people at the current time. So why would I be telling you to go to ZipRecruiter.com? There's a good reason. I know the people who started that company. I've been to their offices in Santa Monica. It's only 20 minutes from my home. I know how passionate the people at ZipRecruiter are about what they do. I know how much they care. And I know that if you need to hire, you can go to your computer Type in ZipRecruiter.com, enter a job description, and with a single click, you'll have qualified candidates within a single day. And if you go to ZipRecruiter.com backslash Fussman, you'll get a free trial. I know I'm doing a service with this message. Whether you're looking to hire or seeking a new job, go to ZipRecruiter.com. It could be the start of a great change. Now, back to Sasha. So there's one day that... It seemed like the end of history for yeah, me. Yeah, and, and it's like life-defining. Mm-hmm. And what happens when that day comes? I stood on the well, podium. Actually, actually, yeah. there's... To go back a little before, the short program happens, bef- obviously, before the, the long, long program. program. Is that like a day before, two days before? It depends, but when I competed, it was short program, day off, long program. Okay. So you do your short program, and you, to me, I, like, I don't know what I'm looking at, but you look flawless to me. I mean, you're on one skate. And your leg is almost, your other leg is almost pointing up to the ceiling. I don't know what they call it. It's a spiral. It's a spiral. I can teach you one. (laughs) I don't, no matter how good a teacher you are, I don't think you can because I don't think my leg would go at those angles. But it's, it's simply astonishing to watch it. And you are flowing along the ice. It looks like you're in complete control of everything that you own. Did you feel that way or is was it just me watching? I did. I also felt like I was walking a pirate's plank when I went out to do that performance because Why? I was injured. I wasn't able to practice that much. I hadn't done a clean short program in a month and clean means that you don't fall or make a mistake. And so I didn't feel prepared. And that's what can happen. Injuries come and... What was the injury? So I had pulled my groin. And so if you see in the video of my Olympic performance, my my legs are wrapped. And I had ultrasound three times a day, ionophoresis with steroids. And so it was just so frustrating because three months before, I was at my peak, my prime. I was ready to take on the world. And things happen. Injuries happen. And we do our best. We try to make the best decisions we can. And so when I went out to skate that short program, I didn't know what was going to happen. But you put on that bravado. You put on 
that hat that I, I own the world and I believe in myself and I'm going to make this happen. But it was a little bit like walking a pirate's plank. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I didn't feel prepared. But you... You are a great actress. You, yeah. Fake look. it till you make it. <laughs> and unfortunately, it didn't completely turn out the same way for my long program because you need to be trained. You need to be prepared. You need to be doing clean programs in practice to do that in competition. So you knew, like when you got done with the short program, it was almost... It was, was a it, relief. Was it miraculous to you that, wow, how did I do that? Somewhat. It was certainly somewhat miraculous and something that I had done many times before, but not in the few weeks leading in. And so that's tremendously unnerving. And the fact that I skated a clean program was first after the short program. This was this moment of elation for, for me, for my family, my coach. And I think that just shows the power of resilience. And you, you have to keep believing until the bitter end. So... You know what's going on inside, but now you're in the lead and you've just been, to me, like flawless. And so you're approaching your long program. And what is that, like three minutes longer than the, the short? How does that so work? So the short is 240 and the long is up to 410. So about a minute and a half longer and more jumping passes, more difficult and I took the day off in between the short and long did because you, of my injury. Did you hurt yourself during the short so that when you had to do the long, you were not the same skater? It was exasperated, but it wasn't that I had injured it more. And that's why I took that day off in between. It was really just that I didn't have the weeks leading in of consistent, clean programs to to train my body and to give my mind the confidence that it that it needed, but what you will see, despite the fact that I missed the first two elements of my long program. Well, this, hang on, hang on. I just want to do a little yeah, build absolutely. up here. Because I'm wondering what it's like for you, like on the day in between, you're not skating, are all the other skaters out there practicing? And then there's gossip, there's rumors. Why isn't she here? What's she doing? And you, sitting alone with your own thoughts for the 48 hours in between, that's, that's not a place that's friendly to be because you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders. You know that in 48, 24 hours, you're always doing this countdown that you're, again, walking the pirate's plank. Can you sleep well? No. Can you sleep at all? Not well, no. I think everybody's different, but personally you're always thinking and there's a balance in sports. You have to be able to let go and let your body do what it knows to do, but it's very hard oh. for to let go because you feel like you can't leave anything to chance. So your mind keeps wanting to pop up and say, hey, did you do this? Maybe we should think about this one more time. And I was trained to visualize. I worked with a sports psychologist, so I would visualize my short program and long program many, many times a day and try to imagine what it felt like to land it perfectly, what it felt like to see my coach giving me a hug as I walked off the ice and to prime my body and mind to be prepared for that. But it's, it's very difficult to be in that place. You're just, you're waiting. You're waiting and you know what's ahead of you. And the best way that I could think to handle it is you, you break it down and you keep it simple. So getting ready to go to the long program, it's like, just take a nap, just wake up, just put on your makeup. Just put on pants. 
all you have to do right now is put on pants. Oh, Good man. job. Because if you just really don't want to let your mind keep going to that big moment and, and feel intimidated. So you get to the rink and all you have to do is get your jump rope out, jump rope out put on your headphones, warm up. And that's what you do. You just keep it very simple and try to keep your mind in line. And then now you, you do a little warm up before and your mind must be thinking this warm up is going to tell me something about how my body is. What happens in the warm up? I felt a little bit off. I think I must have fallen once or twice, but I felt okay. Again, this was my body has done all these things before. Will I will I do it tonight? And I was skating second, so I didn't want to overexert myself on a warm-up because I only had a few minutes in between. And I again kept that belief I can do this. And the thing is, even no matter how well prepared you are, if you if you hesitate, that changes your timing and that can change an entire jump. And then if you miss one jump, that can mess with your psyche and then you'll see a lot of people end up missing multiple elements after. And going in, I tried to simplify my thoughts, stay in the moment, and I really tend to lose myself in the music. Music helps me. And so you inhale and you hear that first note. What was the song that you chose? Romeo and Juliet. Right. And just an absolutely beautiful version. It was the movie version. And it just always struck such a chord with me. And so you start, you know, your body knows what to do with every, every beat and every sound. And, and then you go. And then you know what element you are skating into and gathering speed. And then you're like, all right, here it goes. And you, you go into that first jump, and I fell. And What is that like? Or do you have time to think? You or? don't really have time to process because it's so quick and it means so much. I heard the, oh, from the entire audience, and I felt that inside. I felt my heart drop to the pit of my stomach. But you don't think. You kind of just register and you're in shock, but you get up. My coach always said, you don't fall, you bounce. And so it's literally up as fast as you can and going into the second jump, but already you know this is it. I missed it. I missed my chance at gold because you typically have to be perfect. And I made another mistake, and then I thought I'm not even on the podium. And you just kind of have these glimpses of these thoughts. You don't go into them because every 15 seconds you have a new difficult element that you need to come back to. And you're just aware of the world watching you. You're aware of your, your history being written. So time is going so quickly and so slowly. And from there on, I ended up landing every single one of my jumps. And there was a sadness and there was a beauty. And What, what I loved about it, so you, the second one you came down and it didn't seem like you fell, but your hand came down. Yes, it was a, it was a, a big step out. So it, I didn't actually fall on the ice but it was I got pretty low and touched so now your head's really got to be thinking oh man that's two do you are you thinking like is this going to happen to me every time because what impressed me the most about you before I met you was what happened after that 
something, it was like this steel came up inside of you and all of a sudden you're on fire. Like you're not missing anything. And I'm wondering what it was that allowed you to just push back everything that had happened and then be perfect. I think it's that resilience and that grit. It's that same attitude I had in the short program, walking down the pirate's plank, but telling myself that I'm on top of the world and I'm going to do this. And I think it's that same attitude that I carried into my long program and ice is slippery and people fall. But there was never a moment that I was going to give up. It was, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it happen. And so every... Everything that I went into, that's the attitude I had. And I think some people will tend to unravel because you just start processing everything, your dreams falling apart. How did you miss this? And it's it's just too much. And and I didn't. I kept fighting. And I'm I'm a person that's a fighter to the end, no matter what I am doing. And I think that's that's what came up and saved me, is this. I'm, I'm, it's not over till it's over. Even if I have to struggle through everything and the takeoffs are tough, like I am going to fight. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. And then ultimately you win a silver medal. How do you see yourself in that moment? Because I'm looking at you and I'm saying, man, that was amazing. What a comeback. I, I appreciate the comeback. One of the things, like I've interviewed all these icons that have shaped the last century, and they all get knocked down, but they all come back up like higher than they were before. And like I saw that in, in that second part of the long form. When you look at it, do you see that or do you see, man, you, you missed the moment? to rise to the level you always dreamed of? Or is it both? So it's been 12 years and it's been an evolution in thoughts and in feelings. And for a while, I wouldn't even watch it. I still don't really watch it. I've maybe seen it once or twice. There was a media circuit after where every morning show I went on, they would just play my falls. And then I would be interviewed till I started crying and then would the interview would kind of stop. But I think I will always look at it and know that it was in my hands and I messed up. And if I didn't, I could have had a gold medal. But at the same time, I'm incredibly proud of how I finished and the fact that I am an Olympic medalist and life like sports is not predictable. And you just have to fight and do the best with where you are at the time. And I can say I did that. I will always wonder, like, should I have done this different two months before? Why did that happen? And why was I at my peak in December and not in February? And these these questions you ask yourself looking for answers. But ultimately, I have a lot of pride in, in that Olympic Games, but also a lot of sadness. And I think what's hard is, besides my own, is how you internalize media and the public, which is, we're so sad for you. Oh, You missed it. Or you're always so good at the short program. Why can't you do it in the long? And so you have years of this and you have years of, you were so good. Why did you fall? You must be devastated. And, you know, this doesn't really happen much anymore, but in 
five years, 10 years after, I, I would get a lot of this. Like, you were so good, but you messed up. And I think that is very difficult to separate your experience and your own sadness with everyone else's projected onto you. Okay, so you go through all that. What a mixture of emotions. A lot. <laughs> and you've learned so much. How do you take all that you've learned, all that you accomplish, and now translate it into a life after skating where you've had one goal, one vision, and you can meet people who say, no, <laughs> you, you sleep, you skate, you eat, done. Now you're out in a world where there's like millions of opportunities. You can do anything you want. Do you find that you get lost? I've certainly gotten lost and I am learning to accept it as a journey and allowing myself to wander, which is very difficult for me to let myself do. I finally gave myself permission to go to college because I had an opportunity to work and tour and I did that for years after I competed because it was a living and it was practical and everyone said I had a dream job. I traveled around the world, I performed live with incredible artists and singers and there were many, many incredible moments and memories I have from that. And so to go to school, to spend $200,000 to go to college and have to figure out, like, that seemed hard to justify. And I finally got to a place where I was spending all my free time in the public library when I was home. And I said, I'm ready. I'm ready to go to school for me because I need this as a person to develop, not because this is practical or makes sense for a next step, because I was walking away from a lot of work opportunities in skating to be in one place and go to class. And so I ended up touring a little bit, but much less than I did before. And I decided to move to New York. I went to Columbia University and it was the most incredible gift I could have given myself. Why? It felt like vacation. It felt like a luxury. It was to be able to walk into class and to listen to a professor tell me about Plato and Socrates or nuances of European history and like just what a gift to learn, which necessar doesn't necessarily have a practical application. And I took romantic poetry and American history, and I took painting classes, went very, very deep down many roads of philosophy, and I loved it. And I thought when I graduated, everything would click, and I would know what I wanted to do, and I would have that same clarity uh -oh. I did uh -oh. when I skated. Uh-oh. So I'm like, where is it? And I began to be very disconcerted with myself and frustrated. You, you want that Olympic medal path again. You I want, want the path. Yeah. So I said, why am I failing? What's wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with I don't you. know who I am. And I thought I would have that identity. And as a skater, I never explored other interests. So I think getting that time at Columbia to explore all these other interests, that's why it felt like a gift and like a luxury because I wasn't Sasha the skater. And I was Alex. My name's Alexandra. So I was Alex at school. No one knew who, I, knew who I was, that I was a skater. And it was just wonderful to be a person and not to be Sasha the ice skater. 
And nobody was calling you a runt at that point. No, oh, no, okay. no, no. I wasn't. I was much older than everyone else going to school, and it, it was a completely different experience. And so I think I'm finally giving myself permission to explore. And I would see people like, oh, I know I want to be a doctor. I know I want to be in finance. I know I want to be a writer. And I would say, why don't I know who I want to be? And to me, that felt like a personal short shortcoming. And I think through listening to podcasts, through trying three different jobs, through you know going through two two books that I order on Amazon every week, I'm slowly giving myself permission that the journey is long and winding, and I don't have to be one thing. There are different chapters in your life, and they serve you in different ways. And I don't have to be one thing, but it's and, hard. And these jobs were very different jobs. I mean, some are in the I media. I worked at a media startup, and then at 60 Minutes, and now I'm at Morgan Stanley, and I, I look at really interesting new technologies that are, that are coming out that will change the investing landscape. And that really feeds me intellectually, and I, I love that part of the job, but I also have this performance aspect that I don't have an outlet for right now. I also have a, a creative side that I explore through writing and other, other projects. So it's giving myself permission that maybe one thing will not check all the boxes. And I think this for anyone that's listening, this isn't important and something that I've learned just through asking tons of questions. Some people have that track. They know they want to be a doctor. They know they want to be a director, and it's easy. Not that any of those things are easy, but they know what they, they want to be. But some people don't have that, and that's okay. It's okay not to be defined by one thing. And I think I always felt like I was failing by not being able to identify it. I was waiting for that light bulb to go off in my head. The light bulb you had when you were seven and wanted to be a writer, the light bulb I had when I found skating, and I kept looking for my light bulb, and it didn't go off. And so I had to just build different roads and continue to evolve different parts of myself and give myself permission that that process was just as valid. Now, I'm looking at you in front of this microphone, and you seem completely at home. You seem like you can get command of your thoughts and release them. And you got this little podcasting material in front of you. Is this something that is like, it's outside the box, but all you got to do is just set up the microphones and talk to people. And it can take you around the world. It can take you to all the other Olympians. You can, you can take a journey into whatever you want to know. I am such a perfectionist. And again, my fear of failure, which we talked about at breakfast, is something I'm working on unwinding. Because you don't want a life that is defined by what you're afraid to fail at. You want your curiosity and possibility to lead you. And so I listened to myself record a friend. And I said, um, way too much. I said, oh, I, no, you know, no. way too much. And I thought, no, no one can ever hear this. No, and then I listened no, to, I listened to no. Oprah. I listened to Oprah interview people. And I said, I've got a long way to go. But, you know, that's me. I'm comparing myself to Oprah. So, so basically, Oprah is the Olympic gold medalist who's been working at this 
for decades, right? You get a microphone in front of you to ask questions. Well, maybe you've been doing it a little, but you're a kid starting out. Exactly. And that's the mentality I'm cultivating because by the time I left skating, what was really imprinted on me is the criticism. What are people going to think? So, and, so really the question here is, can you allow your childhood curiosity and, and that childhood sense that you had to come out once again? Exactly. Can that, you do it? I can. I can. Or are you too scared of an um and a you know to just let it fly out? Not anymore. I'm a perfectionist, but I'm peeling off the layers of that, the, the layers that keep me from doing what I want to do. I made a list of don't let your fears define you. And I have lined up a few people that I'm going to be interviewing over the summer. So I will start and I hope you will be on my podcast as well. I'm, I'm definitely coming on and I'm definitely listening to you. Who, what type of people would you like to ask questions to? I love the theme of reinvention and I think it's incredibly relevant for athletes because their careers end much younger and much earlier than, than a traditional person. But the way that life and media and technology are changing so quickly now, everyone has to reinvent themselves in some capacity. And hearing the stories, because there's so much availability bias. You read the Wall Street Journal or Fortune or Entrepreneur and you see the most successful people. You only see successful people. And so when I listen to a podcast, when I hear the the setbacks and failures and how they look at them and they say, you know what, that's all right because I believe in this. Or you know what, that taught me a lesson to prepare me for the next thing. And what I love about a podcast is I love sharing stories. I love connecting with people, all different kinds of people, in sports, in business, in, in the spiritual world, and understanding what's their truth, their definition of success, the failures and setbacks that, that really define them. And it's, it's really a life philosophy that you, you kind of cobble together throughout your life, through your own experiences and through your friendships. And so what could be better than getting to talk about that with incredible individuals? And be honest, right? Because it's all a highlight reel on Instagram. And I want, to know, I want to know the real stories. I want to know how you got to how you think, which let you do what you do. And I love that. You know, I'm hoping you rub off on me more, just that curiosity without that voice that says, is this practical? And it's such a gift that you have. Well, thanks. I, I, I'm telling you that th with this technology, these t little mics, little recorder, some wires, allows you to go all over the world. And here's the thing. I was just talking to a guy who was telling me that in the next five years with this shift in technology, hundreds of millions of jobs are just going away. They're gone away. All those people are going to have to figure out something new. And you become very relevant to somebody who needs to, to figure out what they're going to do. Because you're like a great example of somebody at the highest plane going through the same thing. 
and have to do it at, at a young age. And I never wanted to be, I don't want to be the 60-year-old lady at a bar that said, do you remember when I won an Olympic silver medal? That was the best day of my life. You know, I, I want to build something. I have other sides of me that I want to develop. And I think everyone has multiple sides to them. Everyone has different stories to play out. And so I think people need a little confidence. They need the wisdom of others who have come before them and done it in all different fields. And to know how fulfilling it is to leap and getting to share your story, getting to tell your story, getting to connect, to be vulnerable. That's really, that's kind of the web of where it starts. And the, the, the interesting thing about that is that society is moving away from that. We go on Instagram, we only get the highlight reel. Yes. We don't make the personal connection if we can make a connection through our phone. And when you think about it, 10% of this conversation we're having is the actual words. Mm -hmm. Another 30 is the tone of our voice and 60 is our expressions that we're picking up at. And so we're living in a society where so many people are relying on the 10% mm -hmm. that they're just reading in a text. And by doing what you're doing now, just sitting in front of a microphone, and putting out your voice and your experience and your curiosity, this can take you on an amazing journey. And I really look forward to seeing where it's going because maybe this is where you should have been all along, or at least the day after you got your Olympic medal. It allows you to have a sense of purpose and at the same time, this can take you all over. Wherever you were skating, these mics can take you. And they connect you to people, which as a skater, as an athlete, I was removed. I was in a bubble. And so the act of connecting, of being vulnerable, something that I never did. I had to say, I feel fine and I'm strong. So to talk to you and tell you I was nervous or I was scared or I have these doubts or I'm not sure, this is so important because I, I put walls up my whole life to be an athlete. So now I'm just trying to tear them down. Well, let me tell you something. I have no doubts you're going to be great at this. You're already sensational. Thank you. So there's just nothing to be scared of as long as you can plug those little wires into that mic. Call 1-800-CAL. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know how happy you just made me? Can you imagine that? Somebody just compared me to a self-help technical center. You're going to be the podcasting king. Well, I'm just happy to sit and talk with people like you. In my mind, Tim Ferriss, who actually connected us, he's, in my mind, he's the king because with, if he hadn't, do you know, you talk about fears. If he hadn't said, Cal, do this, Cal, do this. And then I was, I was too scared, I was not of saying, um, or, you know, but that I wouldn't put those wires in the right place. We'd talk and then there would be nothing on in that audio. And he just kept at it. Cal, do it, do it, do it. And then I did it and he was right. So I'm passing Tim's energy on to you. Go ahead and do it. You're going to be great. I'm your first listener. 
I gratefully accept the baton. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Thank you so much. This was really incredible. To, to many more meetings, I already feel like you're my friend. Likewise. That about wraps it up. Today's takeaway is empty ice. Let me explain. I think back on Sasha circling on ice filled with other skaters and another skater working on a routine, jumping into Sasha's path and cutting Sasha's leg with the blade of her skate. The idea of having empty ice where you can skate without being disrupted or distracted by anybody and you can accomplish what you'd like is so important to all of us in our own ways. Clearing the time and space to do what you want to do ain't always easy in this chaotic world. So many times I hear people talk about longing to get the static out of their head so they can make clear decisions and be creative. So many times I've heard people tell me they come up with their best ideas in the shower when there are no distractions. I'm going to make a commitment to clear out more of my time and space to do what I really want to get done. And I hope you can too. And that something great comes out of it. With that, let me send one more shout out to my sponsors. If you're looking to get creative and change things up with a new website, go to squarespace.com. Type in the offer code Fussman and you'll be able to get 10% off your new domain name or new website. Just thinking about the possibilities will make you more creative. And ZipRecruiter. If you need to hire, you can't do better than this free trial. Go to ZipRecruiter.com backslash Fussman, F-U-S-S-M-A-N. All you got to do is enter your job description. And with a single click, you'll have qualified candidates selected just for your needs within 24 hours. ZipRecruiter. It's the smartest way to hire. Some thank yous in order. As always, got to send some gratitude to Tim Ferriss. Here I am teaching other people how to set up their podcasts. It's only because of Tim urging me to learn how to do it myself. want to thank my nephew, Brennan Fussman, for the theme music. A lot of listeners have been sending their compliments. And it's great to see Brennan going on his own creative journey. Hey, Brennan. Need a new website? Go to squarespace.com. See you all next week. And until then, I hope you all can find some empty ice and do what you want to do. Cheers. Cheers.